Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. And welcome back to another amazing episode of Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very, very happy to introduce all of you to Aaron Ryan, who is the owner and the chef of Common Lot in New Jersey. Aaron, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem. And for our listeners out there, uh, later on, if you want to spy the YouTube video, you can see one of uh, his his children running around at the background, which is super adorable. But um. So speaking of children, you actually started at a young age in the hospitality business, uh, almost not a child per se, but a young, young adult, I would say. Um, so my very first job was at McDonald's in Australia at 14. Um, basically, my parents said if I wanted to spend or like haven't you know, make money and spend things or uh, spend it on things that I would have to get a job. So in Australia, McDonald's is actually a very, a very sought after kind of job for young kids because it's got good training. And, um, but yeah, I started at 14 um, and then just kept in hospitality all just ever since. Um, you know, uh, I don't think it was something that I wanted to do as a career long-term. Um, the chefing was definitely not part of it. Um but uh, it's something that I kind of fell into and I loved. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I read up on you a little bit and I, you literally worked across the globe, like all over the place. Yeah. Um, I have to say that's very impressive, but it also kind of gives you, you know, that history of, you know, different culinary experiences, different cuisines, different techniques um, across the board, because it's, everywhere i mean you were in hong kong you were in um well obviously australia austria your wife's um where your wife is from and you know just my mind is boggled because of the experiences that you clearly have you know kind of taken under under your wing and and had it's 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 something that i think i always wanted to use uh, hospitality and chefing as, as a means to travel. That's what I've always wanted to do. Um, uh, when I was younger, we, you know, my parents were diplomats and we were, we spent time overseas. Um, and I just wanted to kind of keep that going. So in, in Europe, you know, I, obviously I started my career in Australia and, um, and then knew that I wanted to travel and Europe was high on that priority list. And, you know, I spent time in uh, in England and in France, in Austria. Um, I helped out friends in Asia, just kind of like off the off the back, you know, type thing. I wasn't it wasn't there permanently. I was couch surfing while I was doing it, so it was it was all about just experience. But like in Europe, it was all about career driven, and and that's what I would you know that's what I knew I wanted to kind of kind of do. Asia was just more like see see it eat eat around, and then. Uh, and really, really just kind of just absorb what they what they do as a, as a culture and as a cuisine. So just I mean, this is even just a sidebar conversation, but uh, out of all of the cuisines that you've been um, exposed to of your own volition, what is your favorite like 
I, I, I know it's hard to pick favorites, <laughs> but like for me, um, with all my palette is extent is extensive. I'm sure yours is actually beyond mine, but, um, I love Asian cuisines, like yeah. in particular Thai food is, is my favorite. So, you know, I would, do have, you have-, I would have to agree. Uh, I have to say either Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese or Thai, um, is definitely up there for me. Um, uh, in particular Thai, uh, I think, um, but I did spend some time in India like when I was a kid with mom and with mom and dad as a thing. Um, and I think Indian is, a, is, is, is as well, probably up there. Um, I just love the flavors you get out of it. I lived, when I lived in London, I lived on Brick Lane. Okay. Um, so basically, um, uh, mini India, um, uh, that, that whole place was, was just, uh, Indian restaurants that are mind-blowingly good. Um, so you know it was i think those three three cuisines are my favorite okay i have to agree like that i i would be able to eat with you any day of the week because those those are my top three too yeah (laughs) so we would be able to hang out um but uh so obviously with all of the that history and the richness of the flavors and umami um got to throw that word out there too being <laughs> the show that we are what influences cuz you opened up the the restaurant um in i think what was it 96 no 2016 2016 yeah <laughs> i'm mixing you up with a different uh guest <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, 2016. And, you know, obviously, like to a lot of accolades and especially New Jersey Monthly, it kind of has you on there for, you know, the top 25 restaurants for year, you know, since your inception. Um, <laughs> what's influenced you the most with what you create for your guests? Um, I have to say, look, seasonal obviously is, is a, plays a massive part in it. Um as local as we can get, um, you, you know, it goes through stages. There are some things that are local, uh, you know, New Jersey uh, are very good at. But, you know, we try we try to, as much as we can to stay tri-state or at least this side of the country. Um, but it, it, I guess it plays off, uh, you know, we do a lot of French technique, but with like uh, Asian influences, because uh, I think that's what we're kind of best at. Um, but it, it's a really, it's really kind of whatever we want, I guess. It, there's no, it we 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 test dishes quite a lot on on each other, so like all the chefs in the front of the house, and we get feedback. And and you know there are some dishes that have you know, that never made it to the menu because it's just just we didn't there wasn't enough consensus. The team wasn't really vibing on it. So we we go off seasons, but we go off. Um, what we think what we uh, what other people think as well so like my, my team I don't you know uh, I have the final say but you know realistically all the chefs have an input all the front of house have input because if the front of house aren't gonna you know aren't interested in the dish they're not going to sell it um, yeah so realistically that that kind of team really pushes what goes on the menu and what doesn't and I get you know you, you can kind of tell by their reactions in the front like you know there's been dishes there where they're like Oh, that's nice. And you know, it's code for yeah, it's it's I've had better. Um <laughs> so without without being you know, we've been trying to be polite as possible without you know getting me angry or on the wrong side. But that is that's the way that I think the restaurant kind of prides itself is that you know the the 
the front of house front of house staff are involved as much as the back of house staff in in dictating what goes onto menus um, because they the front of house are much better are much more knowledgeable on what the customer what a customer generally likes overall than yeah. the kitchen does. You know, we cook it, but they're really the ones that get the influence, get the feedback, and 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 uh, and know how to sell you know dishes that they like. Yeah. Now I I can't let you go at all without mentioning the veggie mite. <laughs> because yes. <laughs> you recently um uh with i don't know when you did this but it was of one of your recent posts you uh utilized vegemite and you mixed it with the au jus of beef and yep. um created a glaze in a sauce and i'm just like how did that turn out cuz i'm just like <laughs> I, I, the the background of vegemite is it does not go over well with most people <laughs> <laughs> well it should be a well you know it should be well trending um it <laughs> It was one of those things where I was like, it, it, it is, uh, it's such a um, uh, yeasty kind of salty flavor. So it's almost like a, it's almost like Australian soy uh, in a sense. Um, so we, we actually use it as, as seasoning um, in, in, in the beef sauce that we, that we reduce down and, and glaze on the bread. So we use, we basically use beef sauce, um, butter that we emulsify into it, and then Vegemite as a, as the seasoning and umami kind of flavor, um, and we glaze it on the bread that we that we make, so milk bread, and we glaze it as it halfway through the cooking process, so it kind of gets tacky and sticky, and then when we serve it in our uh, in our uh, tasting menu um, as a course, as like a just a bread course, we glaze it as we finish, and it's it's like uh, it's designed to be sopped up. So the bread's you know there's a little bit of extra sauce on there, and it's kind of like this beefy, salty, yeasty, buttery kind of flavor, which kind of just you know a lot of people aren't used to, and it's not strong, but it's just on the on the back of everyone's mind like oh. You know, that's not, you know, most of them say it's not bad. And I said, it's an entry level, it's entry level into Vegemite. <laughs> that's a good way to explain it. Yeah. Um, sold. I'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with milk bread. I love milk bread. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is, but the, like the squishiness of the milk bread and it's, it's slightly sweeter than, than regular bread. Um, but it's just, I love, there's something about milk bread. It just yeah. makes it, makes everything feel so much more comfortable, but um. Anyhow, <laughs> so the uh, you obviously had took a bold move during the pandemic, and you actually shut the shut down for like a course of I think six months, yeah. um, and then reopened. But you also are fighting it, another issue that I have friends in the industry who own breweries and stuff like that. The New Jersey legislation with alcohol licensing. Uh, what was it like coming back, still kind of having to fight that fight, but reopening? Um, so we decided. So when we closed, it was a decision made um, in twofold. One, it was a business. Obviously, what's going to we, you know, what's going to be best for the business to what's going to be best for our staff. Um, the unlikely, the, the, our main, pro, uh, our main thought process was, you know, how, how much money are we going to make to cover not just our own expenditure and living costs or whatever it is, but also our staff, you know, because if they not having the hours that they used to have, um, you know, their, their wages are going to be down low, but, you know, they wouldn't be on unemployment. 
Um, so they would actually end up suffering. So we we were like, okay, we spoke to all our suppliers, our landlords, and we got, you know, we were able to, to survive for that long until inside dining started. When we decided to do inside dining again, um, you know, you know, the big push was for, okay, well, now is a great time to start uh the major process of of changing or, or, or updating um, the antiquated uh, New Jersey local license laws, you, you know, because all the breweries closed down and, you know, and they had limited uh, uh, abilities to do anything because of the strict laws that they're in. Um, and it was really just a fight to try and get this finally out in the open and, 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 and uh, at least get changed. So it, it, it drew a lot of support because, you know what was passed during um, what was passed during uh, COVID and how quickly stuff got passed really only benefited the ones that actually had liquor licenses. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of these places that had liquor licenses had bigger square footage were able to open out onto the street, and, you know, double their uh, double their capacity of of liquor sales, and they you know they passed laws to allow delivery for everyone, um, and it really just didn't do anything for the BYO community and. It, really didn't do anything for the brewery community and you know it kind of it, it drew attention that okay it's really one-sided what they yeah. what they did even though they tried to make it even for everyone it was only really one-sided so it's been it's been an ongoing battle it's 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 it is it is definitely still going um but it is it is gaining much more traction, I have to say. Which is good. Now, um, in the last few moments that I get to have with on you on our show, let's delve into some of the things, the offerings, because um, one of the things that I that drew my attention was the seating at the pass, um, the chef's tastings. I would love to do that. I don't know how to sign up for it, but our listeners probably want to know as well. So how how do we make reservations to uh experience the full the full thing <laughs> so we so pre pre-covid we had those four chairs at the kitchen pass um and then basically i took those four chairs home with me to keep them safe and i put them in my basement uh when ida hit um i ended up with five and a half feet in my basement and the restaurant had nothing so we lost those chairs and it's been one of those things where we just we haven't got around to buying them again, um, but we do do a, a tasting menu that that is available separate to the normal menus that we do. So uh, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that we're open. Um, Wednesday and Thursdays are a la carte, so you know choose your menu, and then we offer the tasting that night. Or you've got Friday and Saturdays where we do a prefix, or you can do, or, and we still offer the the tasting menus. The tasting menu is about. Is it's it's our uh, it's our vision of what what we what I've done over the course of my career, which is basically Michelin stars. That's all I've ever worked in yeah. was Michelin star restaurant. So it's what my vision of a Michelin star restaurant would look like in New Jersey, um, and um, it is much higher end. We use you know much more technique, um, and it is your cl- a classic tasting menu. So about seven courses. Okay. Roughly, so it starts off with a few, like four or five, uh, four snacks, then three main courses in a sense, and then you know one or two desserts, petty fours, this kind of stuff. So it is, it is what we, what our vision of a of a tasting menu is, um, and what a Michelin style, Michelin style level. And I mean, I would love to experience that because, as I said, I was highly impressed, just visually highly impressed with everything that you were doing and putting out. Um, and it looks 
elaborate and decadent and just well-placed, well-plated, um, you know, how you, how you do everything. So I, I will have to give you a lot of accolades just from the photos alone. Unfortunately, I have not tasted your menu and I would love to. <laughs> definitely, definitely coming. We're just about to change. We're just changing the full menu now on, on the main menu. And then I think this week we changed the, or this or next week we changed the tasting menu to full. Oh, nice. So we'll have venison. We have sole. Obviously, sweet potato and pumpkin in there. We go into much more caviar and truffles. Um, so it is. It's a. I think it's a. It's a very. It's a menu that is that will depict for. Um, yeah. So quince is coming in again to season. Uh, I love quince. Um, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, sunchokes will be in so shortly, so we'll do like a. You know, we'll do sunchoke ice cream, for example. So we'll do oh. sunchoke. Yeah, sunchoke ice cream with truffle and and local honey. Um, so it is a sweet, savory dessert, um, but it utilizes vegetables that are in season as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know we we kind of like to to uh, you know I guess test or, or push people's uh, palates as well. Well, the minute that you said sunchoke and ice cream, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, nutty artichoke kind of flavor. It's, it's and it'll pair you know really nice with with. Um, you can either serve it with some pear or, or, or you know, truffle. And then we've got um, beautiful honey that we get locally, um, uh, Goose Rock Farms. So up in, she's up in Boonton. Um, uh, and, but most of her beehives are down in the, in the pine, pine barrens. Okay. Pine barrens of New Jersey. So, you know, she gets all different flavors out of the, uh, the out of the seasons as well. So like at the start of the season, it's lighter in color and towards the end, it's darker. So it's phenomenal to see the difference in flavors. Yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately, we are running out of time. And so I as because I feel like I could continue talking to you forever. But um, let our listeners know where to find you online and in person. So our website's uh, obviously commonlot.com. So www.commonlot.com. Um, Instagram is uh, commonlot. Something. <laughs> I don't know particularly what it is. Um, commonlot, under, common underscore lot. Um, and we are in Milburn, New Jersey, 27 Main Street. Um, yep. We're open for dinners Wednesday to Saturday. All right. Thank yep. you so much, Aaron, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no problem. And we will, we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am so happy to be able to announce some of the things that are going to be happening in the, the at the end of this month and into October and even into November. So get your calendars ready because we have so many exciting events to talk about, um, some of which that I've already been to in the years past. So I have firsthand experience being able to explain to you exactly how fun some of these things are. In Old City, Philadelphia, at Lily's in there's a hookah lounge that is upstairs that will be running. So you can go to Luna's Lounge, which is upstairs, and enjoy a hookah. At 
off the rail, there's a Halloween party on October 28th and a kid's portion of it between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. So you can dress your little kiddos up and enjoy some some Halloween festive fun off the rail. Then at the also near that area in Maniunk, there is the annual haunted house. The old Maniunk Brewery got taken over and re-established as a place to get spooked during the spooky season. So you can take a tour around and get in and get get your uh, scared on <laughs> at the Lincoln Haunted House in Maniunk. It's a lot of fun. I've done it before. I don't have the scare factor, but certainly everybody that was following me and even in front of me were kind of freaked out by all of the, you know, random things around the corner. You have no idea what's going to come around the corner at you. It could be something, somebody popping out. It could be something where, you know, air blows at your face. There's this really kind of cool optic section where somebody kind of comes out of like nowhere and and rises above a lot of lights a lot of lights um it is a lot of fun it's interactive and then there's always pop-up foods um tents and whatnot outside the area so before and after you can enjoy something to eat something to drink um from local vendors which is it's just a lot of fun and then over in uh, Center City, there is Tinsel, which is turned into a variety of things over the seasons. But um, Tinsel is having their annual pop-up Halloween bar, which should be slated to open in the early to mid-October. Unfortunately, due to a lot of weather restrictions, there's a few things that got delayed and postponed. So I kind of wanted to make sure we covered some of those. Um craft beer store over at the craft beer store which is one of the people that we are one of the companies that we had brought on they were in the middle of uh prepping because they were still doing renovations they got the renovations done so they're going to be you know holding a concert um october 7th to celebrate the new music venue uh and then continued music uh performances you know for the remainder of them being open then on Tuesdays between 4.30 p.m. and 7 p.m., they're ha- they're hosting Rich's Raw Bar. So you can enjoy, you know, some nice eats that's usually typically seafood, maybe some veggies, but mostly you go for the seafood. Anyway, so that's every Tuesday between 4.30 and 7. And then from uh, on Fridays, they have beer tastings from 5 to 7. So, you know, if you want to try out a new beer, that's a perfect, you know, opportunity to do so. At uh, Craftsman Row, which is also in Center City, they're having, they re-established the dec- decor inside and they're having their Nightmare Before Christmas celebration. So you can go there and have a boozy drink or or a boozy milkshake, I should say, and enjoy, you know, the ambiance of having Beetlejuice. Just don't say it three times. <laughs> then... This weekend, the Ballpark Festival is happening. So the tailgate, the big tailgate, we had um, our guest on a little while back. So you can, you know, check back to our old episodes, through our old episodes and find the full information out for that. Um, Media is having, Media PA is having their fall festival on State Street on October 8th. 
then over in Roxborough, they're having their beer fe festival, which was rescheduled for October 21st. In Haddonfield, Haddon on the Square, they're having their Oktoberfest, which is a lot of fun because there's always, you know, vendors along the street. There's live music. There's usually some sort of parade or, you know, something to that matter, but definitely lots of opportunities to enjoy yourself. That's happening on September 30th. Um, and then obviously we all love cute little fuzzballs. Well, Philadelphia has two new ones. They have a set of pumas named Elbrock and Olympia who joined them at the zoo and they're absolutely adorable. So you can go visit them at the zoo and then we know October is coming around. So every single year, boo at the zoo happens. So there's, you know, you can go see the new Pumas, you can enjoy the ambient, the, you know, Halloween festivities that happen. Um, and then, you know, get your fill, get your keys, listen, listen to the different um, stations and the background information. Um, and then they have the beer garden. So you can enjoy, you know, beers, you can enjoy food at the zoo. Um, for those of you who are two, 21 or older, <laughs> Um, then at the link, there's the Turkey Day tailgate party. Um, it's hosted by Philly PR Girl. They have an annual event where they, it's, I mean, there's going to be music. You're going to get the first taste from Primo Hoagies of their, um, their, their turkey-based hoagie that ha comes out every year that everybody goes crazy over. Um, and then, you know, you're, you have live music. It's just going to be a lot of fun. When is there not fun involved with a tailgate? Um, and speaking of fun, over in Delaware, there's the Delaware Beer Festival that's happening October 14th. It's ha happening at the Figure 8 Barn. Um, it's a lot of fun. I covered it last year as a photographer. Uh, there was a lot to take in. There was a lot to listen to. There's dual stages um, for musicians uh, that are performing during the event you know, and there's ample amounts of breweries and wineries and foods and, you know, crafts that you can purchase. So it's a lot of fun. There's a lot going on in the upcoming um, weeks, but, you know, if you, if you want to find something to do, there's certainly something to do that you'll enjoy. And then I'm going to end it also with the Uptown Beer Garden is now upside down <laughs> from straight, they're, redecorated and rebranded to stranger things so if you want to have a spooktacular fun time that's how welcome to food farms and chefs radio show where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with chef jean blum and photojournalist amaris pollock hi and welcome back to food farms and chefs and i am so happy to have friend of the show back sharice mcgill who is the owner of french toast bites or lo local artisan food groups <laughs> which is a mouthful um but i'm also bringing you on because you have exciting news to share with everybody so sharice welcome to food farms and chefs Thank you for having me back here. I think you're you've always been there for all the pivotal pivotal moments <laughs> in, in my food journey and my food career, and I, I appreciate that, Amaris. Yeah, I'm here today 
Uh, I've recently appointed, recently, it's like my 92nd day on the job uh, <laughs> as the newly appointed executive director of the National Farmers Market Coalition. Which is also a mouthful, but congratulations on that. And so how how did you come about um, gaining that particular position? Oh, sure. Oh, let's talk about the Farmers Market Coalition. The mission is to strengthen farmers markets for the benefit of farmers, consumers, and the communities in which they serve. So way back when, uh, in 2012, 2011, I managed the Lansdale Farmers Market uh, for seven seasons. And during that time, I had this unique opportunity to work with independent growers, food makers, beverage producers, and I worked with the Farmers Market Coalition uh, back in 2017 to bring the SNAP and EBT program to the farmers market to make it more accessible. So I was familiar firsthand with the work that the Farmers Market Coalition did. So French toast is uh, French toasting, and there wouldn't be a French toast business without the farmers market, but without farmers markets. And, you know, French shows grew in both revenue and staff headcount over the past five years. So when this opportunity came available, it's, it's nothing short of a dream job, to be honest uh, with you, to be able to support 8,000 farmers markets across the country. Uh, because I know the magic of farmers markets. I lived it. My daughter uh, has ha- has lived it. Um, and farmers markets essentially changed my family's life. Yeah. I would, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gave you a big life. backbone. <laughs> Huge, a huge backbone. Backbone. When I started managing that Lansdale Farmers Market back in 2012, I had never even been to a farmers market. Isn't that wild? That's so. Are you wow? Isn't that wild? I had never even been to a farmers market. Uh, at the time, I was teaching. I, I was teaching high school, uh, hospitality and culinary arts down in the city of Philadelphia, and I always had. You know, we're hustlers, so I always had an, a national conference planning business. And uh, for seven years, I managed huge conferences across the country. It, it worked. It was great. And then my biggest client uh, left Philly. They relocated down to, I think, Tennessee. And I lost my big client. So remember, I told you I had a teacher salary. So yeah. I was like, what am I going to do? Uh, on, Craigsli- on Craigslist, of all places, I saw a job opportunity <laughs> to man. Come on, it was 2012. It was 2012. Yeah. I, I know, but it's still, that's like a throwback. <laughs> it's a throwback um, to manage the Lansdale Farmers Market. And Mayors, I probably hardly knew where Lansdale was because you get confused in this town with Lansdale and Lansdown. Yeah. And, uh, I had never been to a farmers market before, but I was looking at the qualifications and the requirements, and they were very closely aligned to the work I was doing as a conference planner. I applied. I applied probably like for sake of timeline, May 5th. Okay. You May 9th. The first day was May 15th. Like it was like it was it was quick. oh, it was bam. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was it, it happened quickly. So here I am, fish out of water. I was handed a stack of envelopes. I mean, excuse me, a stack of like applications. And he said, go through this and see who owes us money. I'm like, I don't think that's the <laughs> introduction uh, as a new market manager. But okay, I was new. So I went around, introduced myself. And like, are you so-and-so farm? You owe us $200. You know, I, that, that, oh, that's wow. the way you intro yourself. So from that day forth, I just made this commitment to be like a vendor-centric farmer's market manager. When I inherited the Lansdale Farmer's Market, there was only 22 vendors. I grew it over the six seasons. 
uh, to be the second biggest in the Philadelphia area, second to Hit House, to 44 vendors. And this is between 2012 and 2019. Um, it's one of the best experiences I ever had. I have a daughter. She'll be 18 in December, uh, Madison. She essentially grew up in the farmer's market. Yeah. So she grew up with me on the weekends. And uh, every year she would ask for a business in a farmer's market. But an eight-year-old asking you for a business or a 10-year-old, that's that's your business, you know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, think about what you want to do. You know, I'm putting it off, I'm putting it off. And she was 12 and she was like, I got it. I want to have a lemonade stand. I was like, baby, you know, lemons ain't really local. Yeah. How are you going to make it local? And she had experience working with farmers, you know, on a volunteer. They, you know, give her tips and stuff like that. She said, I can buy the fruit they can't sell, like the seconds and the overripe ones. And when there's no fruit, I'll just put herbs in it. Yeah. I was like, go ahead, pitch it to the board. She's 12 years old. She pitched it to the board. They accepted it. She's 12 years old. She makes $6,000 in 14 days off of $3 lemonade. <laughs> I was and like, I'm on the wrong side of this tent. (laughs) And then she did it again when she was 13 the next summer. She bought a pair of Yeezys. (laughs) That was her first real big purchase. But I couldn't say anything. I couldn't fight her because she earned the money. She squeezed 88 lemons every Friday after school. We would go to the commissary kitchen. So you can't think she's the same. Like you can't (laughs) think that experience didn't change her outlook on life and work. And uh, she still works with French Toast Bites. but. What happens, she started sixth grade with product on the shelf. ShopRite picked that up when she was in eighth grade. Oh, wow. When she was in sixth grade, uh, summer of 2019, they picked it up. So her whole perspective on life was just changed and shifted. And it helped me shift mine too. Because I went back to school to get the MBA in food marketing because I want to really understand the local food economy in yeah. the in open air food markets because there's something special being in the open air. So it's our second year. We use the proceeds, the profits to start French Toast Bites. And we launched in the middle of Christmas Village, uh, winter of 2018. My first 45 days of that event, my gross sales totaled uh, 75% of the day job I left behind. Wow. And so that's when I knew I was on the right track, but I would not have been there if it wasn't for the farmer's market and everything I learned from direct to consumer sales and being consistent, all, you know, all the things. It was the best experience ever. Yeah. Experience ever. And I think that's what we outperform a lot of food vendors uh, over the past couple of years because farmer's markets rain or shine. We're prepared for that, you know? Yeah. Um, We're prepared for, customer feedback directly in real time and making adjustments, you know, as you, as you have to farmers markets prepared us for that. So essentially what I did was from the vendors at the market, take all the things that they did well and noticed who weren't performing well. Cause a lot of them were earning six figures under yeah. a 10, 10 white tent. <laughs> hey, listen, it's a hustle and it's a good hustle. It's a good hustle. Cause you're doing it for you. You know, yeah. my shoulder hurts now. Someone asked me, did I have imposter syndrome? I said, ask my shoulder if I have imposter syndrome. Yeah. Since I lifted up over the past 10 years. It's like, no, I don't have imposter syndrome. I I, I paid the dues. So now in this opportunity to lead 8,000 me's across, like, I know what they can do. There's another Madison McGill out there, you know, who can make lemonade and get their products in stores. And yeah. Uh, farmers markets help my daughter's grades because it's one thing Amir's to practice like the uh count back method at home well if it costs eight dollars and you give them ten what's the change that's easy to do in the living room yeah 
hard to do with 30 people's in line. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a different ball game uh, right there. So she, uh, she learned a lot public speaking, you get better at like, like there's just so many things, so many lessons. So I had to be, I, I had to, I'm at the French show spice has grown to a point where I don't have to be a part of the day-to-day operations anymore. We have five locations, still don't have a food truck, still don't, still don't have a brick and mortar. I subscribe to the open air food market economy. I tell people all the time, other business owners that I'd rather pay people than Pico. Like I don't want an electric bill. I don't want a water bill. I don't, I don't want any of that. I want to focus on the product, focus on my people, focus on the customers. Uh, that's it. So we've been successful because we've been agile and yeah. able to move quickly on our feet. And that's why you'll see us at all of the, you know, popular attractions and it's flowing. It's good. I have 85% staff retention. Yeah. I can dedicate myself to this role. You, yeah. And and the thing is, is you have, like, I don't know one person that has met you that hasn't absolutely adored you. Um, you, <laughs> you have such a bubbly personality, like, and you keep I, a I positive a attitude. And yeah, like it's, it's your heart. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's a boss side of you, but the thing is, is I, even, even the boss side of you is probably a huge part of your personality that you exude, you know? I, Teaching helped, you know, teaching in North Philly helped a lot with leadership, being the girls basketball coach in uh, North Philly and out in uh, Bucks County Community College. I coached the women's basketball. All that plays a role, you know, yeah. in, in things. Um, coaching was a gift is a gift and a curse in terms of leadership because you're really like in the moment. So when I would coach my daughter in selling or even leading the team at the farmer's markets, I'm like, no, 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 do this, do that. You know, <laughs> like a coach, like blocker freeze watch the guard you know they're like what are you talking about <laughs> I'm like screaming all this stuff like from the sideline when I should just be quiet probably but the coach in me is like yelling at the ref and getting the team motivated so um it, well, it, it's a give and a curse <laughs> well the thing is is it's a good it's a good thing that you have and a good back background that you have because clearly it's working what you do is working and oh. now you know you're doing it on a national level with with all a lot of farmers markets. So like looking forward, you know, what is, what is some of your, your own personal goals for growth for the farmers markets now? Uh, To make it more accessible and equitable for customers, for consumers and for food vendors and, and, and growers, there's a lot of barriers and access to entry into farmers markets. And actually, and I want to see them a little more culturally driven as far as their product offerings you know, like I grew up in a household where my grandmother didn't eat pumpkin, right? She was a sweet potato person because culturally pumpkins were never in our households. Hmm. That has to change, you know, like you got sweet potato pie and pumpkin pie. I know what my grandma was picking. I know what my aunts were picking. Now, even start probably starting with my mom's generation, she's a pumpkin spice latte girl now. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of cultural uh, produce that I think we can all learn from, you know, one another on. So just diversifying the uh, offerings, I th- that's coming down the pike really, really soon. Um, cult- culturally relevant produce, you know, is important to farmers markets and providing opportunities. Like my daughter started that business when she was 12. Of, of course, uh, her dad and I funded it, you know, yeah. buying the tent, buying the table, you know, starting her up with the lemons and she had to manage it from there, but everyone doesn't have that, yeah. you know? 
So, so where's that coming from? And just providing resources for the next food entrepreneur. You know, we started in farmers. Like I, I literally say we, we started from uh, lemonade to beer, you know, in all, in five years. Yeah. That's only because of the farmer's market. There's, there's no, <laughs> there's no other, there's no other answer uh, for it. So the magic is a huge part, making it accessible, you know, keeping the SNAP and EBT programs available and, and farmers markets. But there's some barriers to that because there's rural markets. There's rural farmers who don't have Internet and Wi-Fi. You know, it's, it, everything's that, you know, black and white when we say diverse, you know, urban gardeners and farmers have different issues than uh, rural, rural farmers, you know. Yeah. So just addressing the needs for all those folks so they can be profitable and uh build better communities, you know, through farmers markets. Cause you've been to farmers markets. They're a vibe. Yeah. It's a vibe. A lot of like-minded people, folks who care about food, where it came from. You get to meet the maker, meet the grower. To me, that's cool. I like going up to a farm stand in the market and you still see the dirt under the grower's nails because they just harvested it last night. You know, yeah. here to you. I, I I personally love that. And there's, you know, you have the missing the stigma. And the smell of the soil too. Like oh yeah. You you can't buy that. There's, you know, and I want to destruct some of the myths that farmers markets are more expensive. Not noticeably. <laughs> it's, it's just a myth. Uh, you might get some products that cost a little bit more, maybe like a, a coffee or something like yeah. that. Costs more. Of course, that's going to cost more than something that's mass produced. Yeah, because it's like, small batch. Correct. And you know who's roasting it. Yeah, because you just met them. <laughs> <laughs> the person who bagged it, package it. That to be here for you. Put the sticker on it. <laughs> yeah, ain't, ain't ain't no machines. Ain't no machines. So mm-hmm. me, I find value in that. And farmers market speaks to folks with certain value sets. And this is true. This is very true. And it's a, the fact that you're doing this, like, obviously you found a method that worked when you were, you know, back, back, back in the day with your seven seasons of uh, Lansdale farmers market, but like taking <laughs> what that what that what magical system worked um for them and then you know bringing it to a national level that's that's a huge undertaking and you know i i have to say like i don't know how you're going to streamline that like i'm sure you have some sort of uh, business acumen that that you're going to follow yes it's rooted in funding you know and i want to bring the members back we had a drop in membership um, during the pandemic, it was high because everyone was re- relying. There was a community of practice relying on how to bring farmers market back during the pandemic. And then uh, farmers markets kind of got their footing back, and we and we lost a few members. I, I want to reengage them, um, you know, to the new executive director and the new vision that we have, and some of the benefits that are available just for the members. Now we have tons of free resources. We have a whole farmers market toolkit that you can download right now to start a farmers market. We have a legal cool toolkit to make sure you check all those boxes. We have an anti-racism toolkit, and is it these are all free resources that you know that we offer. Um, that are designed to help you. And then we got to introduce folks to some things that are behind the paywall, you know, you know, that's, that's available to members. And, and that changed, you know, since the, probably the last time they were engaged with us. So just getting out all the great work that gets done. We have an excellent programs team who's dedicated to pushing farm, farmers markets forward. And just me on the development side, building the relationships and amplifying the mission. That, that That's my goal. Yeah, so that, that is my goal. 
Now, um, given that you are located out of Philadelphia or the tri-state area, we'll say, um, do you, are you doing ju- primarily just Zoom meetings? Because I know you, I did catch you like on a Zoom meeting day, um, but <laughs> and this is of course being recorded via Zoom. But um, I digress. <laughs> are you going to be traveling to the various like states, like checking out, like physically, like being there at the oh, location? Yeah. Uh, yes. When I started, uh, probably about a month into the job, it was National Farmers Market Week. So I found myself in eastern Pennsylvania. So I went to, like, to the Bethlehem Farmers Market. I went to the Eastern Farmers Market, which is the oldest uh, farmers market in the country. Uh, sp- spent some time there. I went to Washington, D.C., uh, to the USDA Farmers Market. I didn't even know the- there was a USDA Farmers Market before, you know, joining this role. And then since then, I've been to farmers markets in Chicago, uh, again, back back in D.C. So that's that's my goal. I don't want since we're based in Philly, and it's the first time in a long time has been on the East Coast. It's primarily been out West. Uh, the role. I don't want to have an East Coast bias and just dump all the resources to places I can get to quickly. You know, yeah. I really want to tap into the needs of an Iowa. Like what's going on in Minnesota? You know, yeah. Uh, Minnesota has a thriving, thriving farmers market scene. You 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 you'd be surprised. <laughs> Uh, there's a green city market that I went to in Chicago. You would have thought I died and went to farmer's market heaven. <laughs> to give you an idea, to give you an idea, Amaris, there were 100 tents. Okay. Which wow. The weekly market, 100 tents, but 64 vendors. So that means they're massive displays. Like there's like aisles for the produce vendors. Oh, wow. One produce vendor could have 10 tents, could yeah. have eight tents, and it's almost like a supermarket shopping experience. That's almost like a European version of, of a farmer's market. Yes. So it, it was top notch. I was like, oh, it was, it was uh, jaw dropping. And I participate on the state network calls, you know, with farmer's markets across the country uh, monthly. Everyone's dealing with different stuff. And you just build this community where everyone's, you know, peer to peer helping each other. Yeah. Through- and it helps me keep my ear to the street because we're super spoiled in, in a Philly five county region. In Philly alone, there's 30 farmers markets and there's about 62 if you get into the five county in South Jersey area. Yeah. Not like that everywhere. That's a, like a privilege that we have so many uh, farmers markets around. So the issues that we have aren't the same as the issue where, where it's not as concentrated. Now, I I have to ask because obviously there's food deserts within, you know, across the, the U.S. globe, prob- you know, most likely. Sure. Uh, but um, I know that there are programs that, you know, that are run that are farmers markets where, you know, the the vendors kind of hand out like packages of food. Do you work with them as well? Oh, we don't we don't work too much with CSAs. We are farmers market like driven like period so you have like the um food hubs you have the csas we support them in ways that we can but our primary focus are the farmers markets and farmers markets do address you know the food insecurities just on a weekly basis yeah Uh, and there's a farmer's market in minnesota that runs uh six days a week (laughs) believe it or not i'm not jealous of that manager (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say that's a lot (laughs) yeah that's a lot i'm I'm not jealous of of that manager so there are certain farmers markets who are directly um addressing that need 
but we do work with like seniors to, you know, to accept their, their, their food nutritional uh, incentives programs like the SNAP, EBT, WIP, the seniors program. Those are all super important to bring in access to the market. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, obviously it is. And for somebody, you know, who, might be out there because you at some point in time admitted that you had never been to a farmer's market before, you know, for somebody out there who's listening, maybe they haven't either. So what, what can they expect um, entering one of the farmer's markets that you are, you know, in charge of? Oh, sure. You're going to find a bunch of makers. You're going to find folks who are passionate about what they're selling. Um, Very few markets in the United States have resellers meaning they're selling somebody else's stuff and if if that is the case it's so streamlined you can trace where it's you know where it where it came from so you don't see that uh a lot like a lot of, when i was managing the markets here folks would come and you know they've never been to a farmer's market before here's how you know if you're in pennsylvania looking for the bananas it's like there, there's no pineapples here <laughs> no um and then now it's fall so it's not as sexy as the summer, you know, when you have all, everything's in bounty and color, you got a lot of root vegetables now, a lot of, yeah, that lot are kind of like bland looking, but right. But you can hook them up, you know, yeah. and a lot of times uh, there'll be recipes at, at, at the different stands. So I encourage folks to go to your local farmer's market, talk to the makers, talk to the growers, engage with the folks. Cause there's a reason why you guys are all there. You have something in common. You care about food access. Yeah. Uh, you, you care about how your food is prepared. You care about, um, how how it was grown and local is defined in, in our area is less than 50 miles. So mm-hmm. it, it, it didn't pollute the environment too much, you know, for, for you to get this stuff. So I encourage folks talk to the maker. You'll be so surprised. Find out why they're making this. How'd you, how'd you get into this? You know, yeah. And it, the storytelling component is super important. And those food makers and those farmers love to tell their story. Trust me. Sometimes <laughs> customers behind you get upset. They're like, come on, I'm just trying to get this and go, but it's <laughs> worth taking the second uh, to learn. And of course you're going to get your, your, your fruits and, 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 and your veggies seasonally. Um, but there's pasta makers, there's seafood, you know, locally sourced seafood, locally forged mushrooms. There's yeah. uh, always the hot topics back in my farmer's market days. And I, I don't think it's too much of a hot topic now, we sell in our area guacamole. <laughs> you know, avocados aren't really grown in Pennsylvania, but it, they were produced here. Yeah. So the tomatoes in the guacamole may be local tomatoes. That might be locally grown onions. Um, so that's kind of where that, and same thing with coffee. There, there ain't no coffee beans in Pennsylvania, but <laughs> you can roast coffee in Pennsylvania. So yes. being locally roasted um, is important. And just know those, you know, differences. Learn all the key phrases, certified organic, um, fair trade. You'll learn all those when you go to farmer's markets. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's fun being able to walk through like all the different aisles and see what mm-hmm. everybody has to offer. You know, obviously there's going to be some redundancies, but like, hey, like, that farmer or that producer might run out of a product and oh, then that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And then you have, you can move to the next aisle, find something, someone, you know, and talk to that person. Mm-hmm. There's always something around the next corner. <laughs> always, always, always something um, around the next corner. And you'll see some florists at farmer's markets. Yeah. People and- give flowers every week for their homes. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know that until I started managing that. I was like, Oh, people do this. That's the thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> there's there's a lot of great tea vendors out there. Yeah, like their own tea, making their tea. So you you'll 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 see all those you know at a, a well balanced farmers market. Yep. And don't get started on the pastries. I was just about to say <laughs> the pastries too, but I we're gonna run out of out of, out of time. Although we do That's kind it. of have flex time, but um. <laughs> But um, yeah, because I was like the pastries and and just macarons and like um and whatnot. And I mean, the first time I met you was actually at the Christmas Village, your first Christmas Village. Um, that was when we actually met. So I've I've known you day one, day one, <laughs> day one under the ten by ten white tent. Yep, <laughs> that's all I knew. That that's all I knew. Ten by ten white tent. Live your yep. dream, and that's what I've been doing. And this is furthers a dream by me being able to manage the organization that got me to where I, I am and, you know, a staple at Philadelphia food attractions. It's fun. It's fun. Yep. I like to share this story to encourage and motivate, you know, folks, farmers markets are a real place. Like they're business incubators. It's a community. You'll get trained up. Listen, I, I went to get the MBA <laughs> at, at St. Joe's and I managed and spent time in the farmers markets. Those are some lessons, baby. I, I yeah. tell you, those are some real lessons about <laughs> food and marketing and selling and having be having a consistent product and standing out because there's competition in markets you know you just standing out is important yeah and and that's the whole the, th the whole gamut but right. um but for our listeners out there who are looking to, or, or want to look up um a diff, uh, farmer's market maybe they're traveling where mm -hmm. can they find you guys online where they can and then of course plug your french toast bites as well <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. You can uh, learn more about the work that we do at farmersmarketcoalition.org. We're on all the socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and X as uh, FMC org. Um, you'll be able to follow, but always when in doubt, you could type in your phone farmers market near me. And <laughs> I'm sure some uh, good options will come up uh, there. Um, what else do we have going on? Farmers markets just don't happen. You know, there's a lot of folks behind them. There's managers, there's policy, there's advocacy, there's uh, community leaders that have to be involved because they're in neighborhoods, they're in communities. Yeah. So they just don't happen. When you see one, please stop and shop. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Seriously. And uh, French Toast Bites, we're still kicking. We just opened our uh, seasonal location for the third year at Eastern State Penitentiary uh, for the Halloween nights. If anyone's going out to there, be sure to check us out. And then we roll right into Christmas Village and that closes out our year. But we're always at Cherry Street Pier on Penn's Landing. That's our home base. Uh, you can always find us there with the full menu from our bites to milkshakes. Yeah. And the coffee. Oh, Oh, your coffee, coffee is so good. <laughs> oh, I'm going to shout out to our partners, uh, Bean to Bean Coffee. Uh, what we do is we send them about 15 to 30 pounds of spice every week and they produce the coffee. They grind it right in the beans with it. I, you know what? I need, I need some of that for uh, that and the spice for, for my new place. Oh, <laughs> say no more, Maris. I get you. <laughs> All right. Spice and coffee. <laughs> All Thank right. You. Thank you. Um, now for like, for all intensive purposes, I will see you at some point in time. I know. Um, so, and, but good. Thank you. Congratulations on your new position, newish position. <laughs> and, uh, we hope to see you soon again. Yes. I'll definitely see you soon. You're still kicking. Yeah. How long has your podcast been around? Six years? Uh, I, I don't know. I never pay attention to that. 
it's been around for a while, but I've grown. Yes, I was on it five years ago, and I'm sure I wasn't your first guest. So no, congratulations <laughs> to you as well. It's Thank like, you. I think you would agree. You got to be consistent. You got to be yeah. consistent. That's the yep. secret is consistency. The secret is definitely consistency and just keeping keeping at it. Yes. <laughs> All right. So thank you again, Sharice, for joining us. And I will 100% bring you on for your next uh, big, big moment in life because I know you will be. And, Are we recording um, this? Because I want you to bring me back too. Are we recording this? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and uh, stay tuned every week for a new episode on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. See you later.